Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Happy New Year, Sam. Happy New Year. Great to be with you. <laughs> so I'm here today with Sam Baker. Sam's my co-founder here at Wonder Mobility and we are doing this episode sort of a reflection on last year outlook to this year and also to introduce Sam to the program because going forward, we are going to split this up a little bit where I'm going to talk primarily to people from over here in Europe and Sam more to people from North America. So we're going to switch around. Before we go there, Sam, why don't you tell the group for those of them who don't know you a little bit about your background before we started working together over here? Absolutely. My uh, name, full name is Sam Baker, president here at Wonder Mobility, co-founder with Gunnar. I'm originally from California, where I went to university and studied finance and music. Interesting combination. And I started my career off at eBay in finance and then realized pretty quickly that though I learned a lot, it wasn't really the most interesting environment for me to be in long term. I wanted to get involved in entrepreneurship. And in particular, I was interested in what was going on in emerging markets. So I moved after school, I moved down to Central America, El Salvador, where I got involved with some microfinance projects, which are essentially lending to small business owners to help grow their business. And in the process, I came across an opportunity to start a small business with a friend down there to focus on selling computer systems to small entrepreneurs, because at the time, it was very difficult for them to get access to to technology to to manage their businesses. And so it was uh, back in the days where desktops were still relevant. Now I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. But we grew that business in together with a, a local partner. And after merging that with a local business, essentially, I moved back to the Bay Area where I got involved in a very interesting project that was social impact investing, focusing primarily on the consumer products industry. So basically consumer products that you buy in the supermarket that when you buy have a, have a social impact in terms of their supply chain, but then also how they reinvest the profits that they make back into social initiatives that really support entrepreneurs along the supply chain, but also nonprofits the nonprofits that the that the company support as well. At that time was when I actually met Gunnar in San Francisco when I was still involved doing investing there. And that's when uh, our, our sort of story together began. And we've been working together now for a number of years. Kind of a quick recap here. 2014 is approximately when it all started. And we were under the brand of Wundercar, the first company in Germany to launch ride-hailing in Hamburg and in Berlin. Shortly thereafter, Uber also came into Germany and the whole thing became this sort of battle against the taxi industry and public debate and all that and basically pushed us to evolve our product into more of an, a bit more yeah, innovative idea than ride-hailing, which our idea at the time was to see if we could merge sort of a blah, blah car, carpooling idea with an instant experience in cities. And I remember a lot of, you know, investor pitches, a lot of partner rounds with you in here in Germany, different cities in Europe and San Francisco, kind of explaining this idea. Hey, we, we are a ride hailing in Europe. We have some initial traction. We are going to do something different in actually building carpooling in cities. Do you remember those were our, those were our first two years and what happened then? Why aren't we doing it anymore today? 
Well, yeah, the, those conversations really evolved out of a challenge we were facing at the time where investors were saying that that the transportation industry is going to be a winner-take-all market where there's going to be one one transportation technology firm to dominate them all and they'll own every segment. And at the time, we had the idea that that was not going to be the case, that actually the transportation industry is very fragmented and focused on on the local markets. And we were not, I'll be honest, I would say we we're not so successful at conveying our, our vision and understanding of where the transportation industry was going. And moving into carpooling was something that enabled us to basically continue in the transportation industry, but in an area where we could have a level of competitiveness because it was a new and innovative product at the time, you know, sharing rides for people who are going to work with their own cars that they, that they really, that they own the cars and they share the rides with passengers. So from carpooling, we actually launched that in emerging markets. We, we took the approach that it's very common with entrepreneurs that they will look at the markets where they are currently located and they're living and they'll say, let's launch a product for people that are here. But at the time we felt that you know, there was a space for carpooling, but the, the markets where, where that would be relevant is definitely not in, in Germany where incomes are high and maybe the incentives are low for sharing rides. So we did a lot of research and we made some assumptions about where, where carpooling could be relevant. And we actually ended up in the Philippines of all places and uh, we ended up launching carpooling there. And to our, I, I think it's fair to say in hindsight, like everyone's surprised, including our own, there was such a phenomenon in Manila for the years that we were there, about two years we were very active over there. And we basically turned Manila into the first city globally to have a liquid carpooling in a city kind of application. So if you are in the morning in the in rush hour trying to make your way into the city, you can open the app and similar to getting an Uber or a Grab driver over there, you can also jump in with another private person going to a similar part of the city, to the same part of the city, similar office building as you are, and basically carpool for a fraction of the cost of ride hailing, such a higher, much higher level of quality and safety compared to using public transport in those cities. But we basically came after traction up with a lot of ideas in mobility are facing and struggling with, which is monetization and eventually running all of this profitably. Because I think that was really the, the, the major challenge. And so fast forward two years later, we basically were running this liquid carpooling market and then getting approached by a car, one of the big car companies wanting this kind of technology to launch a shuttle service in Germany in more mature market. And so basically this, this is sort of the flip that brought us to where we are today as a company where we have now figured out how to make money and how to also grow our income and eventually become profitable and independent, which is when we said, okay, that's, that's interesting. Why don't you license technology from us? They came with the intention of buying the company. We said, maybe not buy, but license. They didn't do that, but they gave us this idea. And, and then we started doing that for others. Yeah, we were, we were faced with a challenge that many operators are today, which is we have a lot of users that love our product and our service, and it's providing a great service to society. But then how do you really sustain that if you're not making money? And so we had to take a really good look at our business and really think about what our future would be at the time and the opportunity to work with a large automotive firm here and to really leverage the experience that we had in the technology and running the operations of this liquid marketplace, we said, hey, what are other contexts in which we could potentially leverage these experiences and technology that we have? And that's when we begin to look out into the market and see 
how we could begin to partner with other companies that are trying to get mobility services off the ground. And that's what really kicked off the Wonder Mobility as we know it today. So going from Wonder Car to Wonder Carpool to a broader setup as a company and what has brought us to where we are today in, in setting up set up as a as a much yeah more expansive mobility company. Our vision today that we communicate yeah a lot also internally is that we try to accelerate the transition to sustainable mobility. And now we have this next sentence which says by enabling operators globally to launch and scale their mobility services, basically turning our technology or we know and have into a platform for others to launch and scale. And that's been going on for about two to three years now. Beginning of last year, we had this foundation of around about 50 operators globally using our technology to run ride hailing, car sharing, bike sharing, scooter sharing. And we had big growth plans for last year. Basically, our intention and you know firm belief was that we would double our revenues and win a lot of new clients. And people had plans, had made plans to launch or grow their existing operation on our platform last year. And then, of course, uh, everything came very different. Yeah. Well, no one was expecting, I think, what really ended up happening in, in March of last year. And it completely changed the trajectory for the year. The first thing that we had to do was really make sure that our team and our customers were able to to survive during during this period. So we had to really focus on the sustainability of our customers. And I'm trying to get, get the company through that very difficult financial period, for sure. There was a lot of focusing taking place last year. And despite of that, a lot of innovation happening in the market. In hindsight, this probably accelerated a lot of trends that were underway already. It forced everyone to really make sure not to lose any time. And, and in our case, there were kind of some, some notable events last year were the launch of Wunder Vehicles, not just being the software company for share, sharing mobility operators, but also having our own vehicles team, hardware engineering, our own vehicle types that we can recommend, co-development with manufacturers for light electric vehicles, um, launching them. And then we made an acquisition. You were in the lead for this, made an acquisition in Australia to also grow our software portfolio. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. Our strategy, we had to become more focused last year and we had to make sure that even though we wanted to be a very broad mobility portfolio, we still need to make sure that we're focused enough to develop, deliver really solid solutions for our customers. And so we really coalesced around two key areas and mobility, both vehicle sharing and ride sharing on the other hand. And as part of our vehicle sharing portfolio, we were noticing that there was a very strong trend in the direction of the digitalization and sharing of traditional rental services. So we made an acquisition in the area of really enhancing the technology that we have for traditional rental companies and dealership groups that want to offer their fleets up. And this was a strategic move in that direction to really strengthen that technology that we have underlying our vehicle sharing strategy. Right. And then the way we think about our product portfolio now has also evolved. You mentioned vehicle sharing and ride hailing on the one hand, and then we have basically these products that support the above, which was our vehicles launch, our marketplace product that launched later in the year, which now opens sort of a whole new dimension, this door into having a lot of third-party tools and services also 
offered through our platform that are technically pre-integrated, um, where our clients by becoming, by hosting their service on our platform now have access not just, just to our solutions, but to a number of also specialized tools that we recommend and that are already integrated. And then finally, something that's not so much talked about that has been built up over like a year and a half into this sort of diverse portfolio of vehicles. We also offer financing solutions for our operators now. So this is basically vehicle sharing, ride hailing, and then vehicles, the marketplace and financing solutions. And when we think about where we stand today and what trends we're seeing for next year, you and I, when we talked about it, um, identified basically five major trends. Some of them a continuation of what was there before, maybe accelerated through what happened last year and what's still ongoing. And some are also new aspects that weren't so much on the radar before. But let's talk a little bit about, about that, what we think is going to become important this year. Yeah, there's not just challenges for coming out of last year. Fortunately, there are also opportunities. And one of the first areas that we really saw a lot of was focusing again on local, right? So whether it's in our personal lives, focusing on staying in our cities, or maybe if we do travel, it's just outside the city to get a maybe a, a rest in the in the countryside if possible, but really not traveling far from home is a reality of the world we live in today. And this is also a business reality that we've seen, particularly in, in the mobility industry. And we've seen examples as well where local businesses, operators, or public entities are winning contracts, getting opportunities to provide those services over, let's say, international competitors. An example recently in Germany, where the Deutsche Bahn won a contract against VIA, which is a large ride-hailing competitor from the United States, very well-funded and tends to win a lot of government contracts. The German government-backed entity is really sort of winning against, winning against that international competitor. And we think that this this is a, a signal of maybe a, a sort of a reverting back into focusing on local, source locally as well. Right. And at the same time, it's not just how things, how we are thinking and how we're dividing things up. It's becoming less global at the moment, but also we see a rise of public players in our market, in mobility. It had always been there, even preceding in many cases, a lot of these private activities, public transportation, essentially being shared mobility, only maybe not as flexible on demand. Bike sharing systems run or at least paid for and designed by government. And now we see a lot of money from government spent against the recession, of course, sometimes directly into companies, but also into the entities that they hold, making investments into infrastructure and into services. And this is another area where we see now more and more activity coming in the form of tenders for basically designing shared mobility paid for, set in its parameters by public players or semi-public players. And we have some of these favorite examples from our client base about public utilities who are scaling up their shared scooter fleets, for example, and acting as a showcase for other public utilities who are going beyond more traditional forms of public transportation or provisioning energy to also yeah, just taking advantage of what's now available off the shelf in terms of shared mobility solutions. Yeah. And what we see in Europe is that, in the, at least in that utility example, there's 
a common trend among light electric vehicles, right? So you have energy companies that are saying, okay, I want to promote the future of electric mobility. If you think about it, it makes sense because their business is around selling energy, right? And in particular, electricity. So when we think about those light electric vehicles, it's not just the sharing fleets that were impacted last year. We also saw a trend towards private ownership. And private ownership, though, not in the form of the way that we traditionally have seen it with you go to the dealer, you pay cash for getting an electric moped or an electric scooter, but there are an abundance now of options that have emerged where you can rent that or subscribe to a scooter for a monthly payment. And so this idea that, you know, what does ownership really mean is starting to get a little bit blurry because I might pay for a monthly subscription for an electric scooter and I get it 100% of the time. Do I really own that? Not technically, but it feels like I own that from a consumer perspective. And we're even beginning to see that sharing operators themselves are starting to get into the business of providing both the sharing service as we know it, use my app on the street, reserve a scooter, pick it up, but also providing the service of subscribing to a scooter that I can have full-time as well. So then what's the difference between a sharing provider then and say an electric vehicle distributor in the classic sense? This is this is something that we've begun to see emerge over the last 12 months. Totally. We're partnering with our operator clients to turn their sharing product into like a direct-to-consumer distribution platform for these same vehicles or other related vehicles that they're offering in a sharing setting and basically disintegrating the whole kind of dealership model, which is anyhow physical dealership right now impacted with lockdowns in many geographies. That's all kind of accelerations of topics that some people have been working on already for a while. And in addition to that, there are also some new opportunities coming up that you've been also involved in and signing some deals around. What are main sort of new opportunities, new products that are now driven by the pandemic in mobility? Common conversation that I'm involved in with customers, friends, industry gurus is they they ask about okay how's the transportation industry doing right now it must be really challenging fact of the matter is for for many operators in the industry right now covid is definitely having huge impact on their business and it's very challenging but sometimes we tend to forget that there are businesses out there during covid times that are actually growing significantly for example logistics services home deliveries right so we actually have begun to deploy shared fleets for businesses that provide shared vehicles to drivers that work for Amazon, for example, and deliver packages. And they get they can tap into or rent a van on an hourly or daily basis to provide those deliveries. Another example is food delivery, right? So light electric vehicles, bike, e-bikes for food delivery is there are sort of massive shared vehicle fleets that are deployed now um, with our platform that are tapping into this logistics business. And then also transportation for essential workers, right? We tend to think about public transportation through sort of common routes for transportation going to central business districts. But a lot of places that are really growing right now are distribution centers outside of the city or maybe factories that are providing essential services like hopefully more immunizations, but also food foodstuffs and other things. We've seen a trend where companies are starting to create their own private transportation networks. One, because we need a higher volume of workers at all hours of the day. And it's not something that public transport alone can provide access to, to be able to get to these facilities. But then another aspect of it is just the safety, right? So with digitalization of transportation services, you can have more traceability and understanding, okay, who's riding with who and when to be able to go back and 
solve for health concerns when they when they rise up. So not everyone's business is being affected negatively at, during these times. Right. And finally, kind of our favorite main main topic of the last Wonder Mobility Summit now a year and a half ago, but only more relevant now and in face of the pandemic and recession that's been happening for all of us in mobility is um, making progress toward, towards profitability. So we have a new importance of local rise of public players, the blurring of sharing and ownership, some specific new opportunities, but Overall, continue, everybody continues to work very hard on profitability. And what we basically can attest to from a lot of also our client examples is how the whole industry is getting much more sophisticated rapidly in squeezing out sort of operational efficiencies wherever we can. And there's a host of tools and services emerging to support with that. In some cases, you know, optimizing specific aspects of the cleaning process or of relocation questions and so on, Oper optimizing operations around the vehicle or around the marketing process, the purchasing process. And that's basically where our marketplace part came in, where we kind of recognize that if you want to be an operator in this industry, you now have to have access to a growing number of tools to act in a more sophisticated way and ideally can have some guidance through this universe of tools and some help having what's out there already pre-integrated. But I think this uh, last topic, while it's harder to predict the future, it's becoming less of a good strategy, let's say, to rely on necessarily the next funding round, but to definitely always chart this path towards profitability. And we see some of our clients that even now, even in the last year in this difficult time, have made progress and are reporting initial profitable months or quarters. And it's typically um, through an approach that's very, very detail-oriented, very optimization-focused with a lot of support of a number of tools that are out there already. Sure. And you mentioned funding rounds, and it's important to point out that an increasing number of our clients are also not dependent on funding rounds because traditional businesses, be it OEMs, dealership groups, leasing companies are providing mobility services now and, and tapping into technology to be able to launch them. And so there's different types of funding that are entering this space right now. And it points back to our discussion earlier about going out and trying to, to raise rounds of funding as a startup and convince a convince investors of this fragmented industry that would emerge and the opportunities in that, meaning that that there are lots of touch points for legacy transportation businesses to get into mobility services. And it's it's increasingly demonstrated by the players that are that are involved and they're not relying on investors, but can think longer term, right? And they also themselves, you know, rental companies, et cetera, they have experience running a profitable business in the past, unlike some of the startups that that are doing this for the first time. Right. It's been fascinating to witness what's going on in this mobility space. And I think it's somewhat hard to make predictions, but I think that with those trends of what we're describing, what we're hearing also from our clients and our conversations, we're able to give some direction. You're going to become also a host on the show. We're going to divide ourselves up, cover hopefully a lot of ground. We're fortunate to have some really interesting 
people from the industry already on the show. You're also going to bring some people from, from, from your network. We're going to, we had mainly sort of German, European guests over here. We're going to expand this to also have sort of people from, from the American markets regularly. And what are you most hoping if you think about this upcoming season of podcasts for this year, what are you most hoping to get out of it? Well, I'll be honest, I think 2020 was a really difficult year for a lot of folks. And for me personally as well, it was, it was, there were a lot of challenges associated with it. And I think that it would be really interesting to uncover some examples of optimism for a change and uh, some things that are really success stories and, and what we can learn from those as well. So we've learned a lot from challenges in the past year, but I'd also would love to speak with some folks in the industry of you know, what's working for them and maybe learn, learn from them in that process. So my hope would be to have a lot more optimistic conversations in 2021 than 2020. Awesome. I think we can all agree with that. Thanks, Sam, for coming on. Thanks a lot.